Section twenty eight of Rights of Man by Thomas Paine. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Edward Kirkby, Warwick, England. Part second, Chapter four of Constitutions, Part two of two. I will now, by way of relaxation, turn a thought or two to Mr. Burke. I ask his pardon for neglecting him so long. America, says he, in his speech on the Canada Constitution Bill, quote, never dreamed of such absurd doctrine as the rights of man, unquote. Mr. Burke is such a bold presumer and advances his assertions and his premises with such a deficiency of judgment that without troubling ourselves about principles of philosophy or politics, the mere logical conclusions they produce are ridiculous. For instance, if governments, as Mr. Burke asserts, are not founded on the rights of man, and are founded on any rights at all, they consequently must be founded on the right of something that is not man. What, then, is that something? Generally speaking, we know of no other creatures that inhabit the earth than man and beast, and in all cases, where only two things offer themselves, and one must be admitted, a negation proved on any one amounts to an affirmative on the other and therefore Mr. Burke, by proving against the rights of man, proves in behalf of the beast, and consequently proves that government is a beast, and as difficult things sometimes explain each other, we now see the origin of keeping wild beasts in the tower, for they certainly can be of no other use than to show the origin of the government. They are in the place of a constitution. O oh, John Bull, what honours thou hast lost, by not being a wild beast, thou mightiest on Mr. Burke's system have been in the tower for life. If Mr. Burke's arguments have not weight enough to keep one serious, the fault is less mine than his, and as I am willing to make an apology to the reader for the liberty I have taken, I hope Mr. Burke will also make his for giving the cause. Having thus paid Mr. Burke the compliment of remembering him, I return to the subject. From the want of a constitution in England to restrain and regulate the wild impulse of power, many of the laws are irrational and tyrannical, and the administration of them vague and problematical. The attention of the government of England, for I rather choose to call it by this name than the English government, appears since its political connection with Germany to have been so completely engrossed and absorbed by foreign affairs and the means of raising taxes that it seems to exist for no other purposes. Domestic concerns are neglected, and with respect to regular law there is scarcely such a thing. Almost every case must now be determined by some precedent. Be that precedent good or bad, or whether it properly applies or not, and the practice is become so general as to suggest a suspicion that it proceeds from a deeper policy than at first sight appears. Since the revolution of America, and more so since that of France, this preaching up the doctrines of precedents, drawn from times and circumstances antecedent to those events, has been the studied practice of the English government. The generality of those precedents are founded on principles and opinions, the reverse of what they ought, and the greater distance of time they are drawn from, the more they are to be suspected. But by associating those precedents with a superstitious reverence for ancient things, 
as monks show relics and call them holy the generality of mankind are deceived into the design governments now act as if they were afraid to awaken a single reflection in man they are softly leading him to the sepulchre of precedence to deaden his faculties and call attention from the scene of revolutions they feel that he is arriving at knowledge faster than they wish and their policy of precedent is the barometer of their fears this political popery like the ecclesiastical popery of old has had its day and is hastening to its exit the ragged relic and the antiquated precedent the monk and the monarch will moulder together government by precedent without any regard to the principle of the precedent is one of the vilest systems that can be set up in numerous instances the precedent ought to operate as a warning and not as an example and requires to be shunned instead of imitated but instead of this precedents are taken in the lump and put at once for constitution and for law either the doctrine of precedents is policy to keep a man in a state of ignorance or it is a practical confession that wisdom degenerates in governments as governments increase in age and can only hobble along by the stilts and crutches of precedents how is it that the same persons who would proudly be thought wiser than their predecessors appear at the same time only as the ghosts of departed wisdom how strangely is antiquity treated to some purposes it is spoken of as the times of darkness and ignorance and to answer others it is put for the light of the world if the doctrine of precedence is to be followed the expenses of government need not continue the same why pay men extravagantly who have but little to do if everything that can happen is already in precedent legislation is at an end and precedent like a dictionary determines every case either therefore government has arrived at its dotage and requires to be renovated or all the occasions for exercising its wisdom have occurred we now see all over europe and particularly in england the curious phenomenon of a nation looking one way and the government the other the one forward and the other backward if governments are to go on by precedent while nations go on by improvement they must at last come to a final separation and the sooner and the more civilly they determine this point the better having thus spoken of constitutions generally as things distinct from actual governments let us proceed to consider the parts of which a constitution is composed opinions differ more on this subject than with respect to the whole that a nation ought to have a constitution as a rule for the conduct of its government is a simple question in which all men not directly courtiers will agree it is only on the component parts that questions and opinions multiply but this difficulty like every other will diminish when put into a train of being rightly understood the first thing is that a nation has a right to establish a constitution whether it exercises this right in the most judicious manner at first is quite another case it exercises it agreeably to the judgment it possesses and by continuing to do so all errors will at last be exploded 
when this right is established in a nation there is no fear that it will be employed to its own injury a nation can have no interest in being wrong though all the constitutions of america are on one general principle yet no two of them are exactly alike in their component parts or in the distribution of the powers which they give to the actual governments some are more and others less complex in forming a constitution it is first necessary to consider what are the ends for which government is necessary secondly what are the best means and the least expensive for accomplishing those ends government is nothing more than a national association and the object of this association is the good of all as well individually as collectively every man wishes to pursue his occupation and to enjoy the fruits of his labours and the produce of his property in peace and safety and with the least possible expense when these things are accomplished all the objects for which government ought to be established are answered it has been customary to consider government under three distinct general heads the legislative the executive and the judicial but if we permit our judgment to act unencumbered by the habit of multiplied terms we can perceive no more than two divisions of power of which civil government is composed namely that of legislating or enacting laws and that of executing or administering them everything therefore appertaining to civil government classes itself under one or other of these two divisions so far as regards the execution of the laws that which is called the judicial power is strictly and properly the executive power of every country it is that power to which every individual has appeal and which causes the laws to be executed neither have we any other clear idea with respect to the official execution of the laws in england and also in america and france this power begins with the magistrate and proceeds up through all the courts of judicature i leave to courtiers to explain what is meant by calling monarchy the executive power it is merely a name in which acts of government are done and any other or none at all would answer the same purpose laws have neither more nor less authority on this account it must be from the justness of their principles and the interest which a nation feels therein that they derive support if they require any other than this it is a sign that something in the system of government is imperfect laws difficult to be executed cannot be generally good with respect to the organization of the legislative power different modes have been adopted in different countries in america it is generally composed of two houses in france it consists but of one but in both countries it is wholly by representation the case is that mankind from the long tyranny of assumed power have had so few opportunities of making the necessary trials on modes and principles of government in order to discover the best that government is but now beginning to be known and experience is yet wanting to determine many particulars the objections against two houses are first that there is an inconsistency in any part of a whole legislature coming to a final determination by vote on any matter whilst that matter with respect to that whole is yet only in a train of deliberation and consequently open to new illustrations 
secondly that by taking the vote on each as a separate body it always admits of the possibility and is often the case in practice that the minority governs the majority and that in some instances to a degree of great inconsistency thirdly the two houses arbitrarily checking or controlling each other is inconsistent because it cannot be proved on the principles of just representation that either should be wiser or better than the other they may check in the wrong as well as in the right therefore to give the power where we cannot give the wisdom to use it nor be assured of its being rightly used renders the hazard at least equal to the precaution the objection against a single house is that it is always in a condition of committing itself too soon but it should at the same time be remembered that when there is a constitution which defines the power and establishes the principles within which a legislature shall act there is already a more effectual check provided and more powerfully operating than any other check can be for example were a bill to be brought into any of the american legislatures similar to that which was passed into an act by the english parliament at the commencement of george the first to extend the duration of the assemblies to a longer period than they now sit the check is in the constitution which in effect says thus far shalt thou go and no further but in order to remove the objection against a single house that of acting with too quick an impulse and at the same time to avoid the inconsistencies in some cases absurdities arising from two houses the following method has been proposed as an improvement upon both first to have but one representation secondly to divide that representation by lot into two or three parts thirdly that every proposed bill shall be first debated in those parts by succession that they may become the hearers of each other but without taking any vote after which the whole representation to assemble for a general debate and determination by vote to this proposed improvement has been added another for the purpose of keeping the representation in the state of constant renovation which is that one-third of the representation of each county shall go out at the expiration of one year and the number be replaced by new elections another third at the expiration of the second year replaced in like manner and every third year to be a general election but in whatever manner the separate parts of a constitution may be arranged there is one general principle that distinguishes freedom from slavery which is that all hereditary government over a people is to them a species of slavery and representative government is freedom considering government in the only light in which it should be considered that of a national association it ought to be so constructed as not to be disordered by any accident happening among the parts and therefore no extraordinary power capable of producing such an effect should be lodged in the hands of any individual the death sickness absence or defection of any one individual in a government ought to be a matter of no more consequence with respect to the nation than if the same circumstance had taken place in a member of the english parliament or the french national assembly 
scarcely anything presents a more degrading character of national greatness than its being thrown into confusion by anything happening to or acted by any individual and the ridiculousness of the scene is often increased by the natural insignificance of the person by whom it is occasioned were a government so constructed that it could not go unless a goose or a gander were present in the senate the difficulties would be just as great and as real on the flight or sickness of the goose or the gander as if it were called a king we laugh at individuals for the silly difficulties they make to themselves without perceiving that the greatest of all ridiculous things are acted in governments all the constitutions of america are on a plan that excludes the childish embarrassments which occur in monarchical countries no suspension of government can there take place for a moment from any circumstances whatever the system of representation provides for everything and is the only system in which nations and governments can always appear in their proper character as extraordinary power ought not to be lodged in the hands of any individual so ought there to be no appropriations of public money to any person beyond what his services in a state may be worth it signifies not whether a man be called a president a king an emperor a senator or by any other name which propriety or folly may devise or arrogance assume it is only a certain service he can perform in the state and the service of any such individual in the routine of office whether such office be called monarchical presidential senatorial or by any other name or title can never exceed the value of ten thousand pounds a year all the great services that are done in the world are performed by volunteer characters who accept nothing for them but the routine of office is always regulated to such a general standard of abilities as to be within the compass of numbers in every country to perform and therefore cannot merit very extraordinary recompense government says swift is a plain thing and fitted to the capacity of many heads it is inhuman to talk of a million sterling a year paid out of the public taxes of any country for the support of any individual whilst thousands who are forced to contribute thereto are pining with want and struggling with misery government does not consist in a contrast between prisons and palaces between poverty and pomp it is not instituted to rob the needy of his might and increase the wretchedness of the wretched but on this part of the subject i shall speak hereafter and confine myself at present to political observations when extraordinary power and extraordinary pay are allotted to any individual in a government he becomes the centre round which every kind of corruption generates and forms give to any man a million a year and add thereto the power of creating and disposing of places at the expense of a country and the liberties of that country are no longer secure what is called the splendour of a throne is no other than the corruption of the state it is made up of a band of parasites living in luxurious indolence out of the public taxes when once such a vicious system is established it becomes the guard and protection of all inferior abuses the man who is in the receipt of a million a year is the last person 
to promote a spirit of reform, lest in the event it should reach to himself. It is always his interest to defend inferior abuses, as so many outworks to protect the citadel. And on this species of political fortification, all the parts have such a common dependence that it is never to be expected they will attack each other. Monarchy would not have continued so many ages in the world had it not been for the abuses it protects. It is the master fraud which shelters all others. By admitting a participation of the spoil, it makes itself friends, and when it ceases to do this, it will cease to be the idol of courtiers. As the principle on which constitutions are now formed rejects all hereditary pretensions to government, it also rejects all that catalogue of assumptions known by the name of prerogatives. If there is any government where prerogatives might with apparent safety be entrusted to any individual, it is in the federal government of America. The President of the United States of America is elected only for four years. He is not only responsible in the general sense of the word, but a particular mode is laid down in the Constitution for trying him. He cannot be elected under thirty-five years of age, and he must be a native of the country. In a comparison of these cases with the government of England, the difference when applied to the latter amounts to an absurdity. In England, the person who exercises prerogative is often a foreigner, always half a foreigner and always married to a foreigner. He is never in full natural or political connection with the country, is not responsible for anything and becomes of age at 18 years, yet such a person is permitted to form foreign alliances without even the knowledge of the nation and to make war and peace without its consent. But this is not all. Though such a person cannot dispose of the government in the manner of a testator, he dictates the marriage connections, which, in effect, accomplish a great part of the same end. He cannot directly bequeath half the government to Prussia, but he can form a marriage partnership that will produce almost the same thing. Under such circumstances, it is happy for England that she is not situated on the continent, or she might, like Holland, fall under the dictatorship of Prussia. Holland, by marriage, is as effectually governed by Prussia as if the old tyranny of bequeathing the government had been the means. The presidency in America, or, as it is sometimes called, the executive, is the only office from which a foreigner is excluded, and in England it is the only one to which he is admitted. A foreigner cannot be a member of Parliament, but he may be what is called a king. If there is any reason for excluding foreigners, it ought to be from those offices where mischief can most be acted, and where, by uniting every bias of interest and attachment, the trust is best secured. But as nations proceed in the great business of forming constitutions, they will examine with more precision into the nature and business of that department which is called the executive. What the legislative and judicial departments are, every one can see, but with respect to what, in Europe, is called the executive, as distinct from those two, it is either a political superfluity 
or a chaos of unknown things some kind of official department to which reports shall be made from the different parts of a nation or from abroad to be laid before the national representatives is all that is necessary but there is no consistency in calling this the executive neither can it be considered in any other light than as inferior to the legislative the sovereign authority in any country is the power of making laws and everything else is an official department next to the arrangement of the principles and the organization of the several parts of a constitution is the provision to be made for the support of the persons to whom the nation shall confide the administration of the constitutional powers a nation can have no right to the time and services of any person at his own expense whom it may choose to employ or entrust in any department whatever neither can any reason be given for making provision for the support of any one part of a government and not for the other but admitting that the honour of being entrusted with any part of a government is to be considered a sufficient reward it ought to be so to every person alike if the members of the legislature of any country are to serve at their own expense that which is called the executive whether monarchical or by any other name ought to serve in like manner it is inconsistent to pay the one and accept the service of the other gratis in america every department in the government is decently provided for but no one is extravagantly paid every member of congress and of the assemblies is allowed a sufficiency for his expenses whereas in england a most prodigal provision is made for the support of one part of the government and none for the other the consequence of which is that one is furnished with the means of corruption and the other is put into the condition of being corrupted less than a fourth part of such expense applied as it is in america would remedy a great part of the corruption another reform in the american constitution is the exploding all oaths of personality the oath of allegiance in america is to the nation only the putting any individual as a figure for a nation is improper the happiness of a nation is the superior object and therefore the intention of an oath of allegiance ought not to be obscured by being figuratively taken to or in the name of any person the oath called the civic oath in france these quote, the nation the law and the king unquote, is improper if taken at all it ought to be as in america to the nation only the law may or may not be good but in this place it can have no other meaning than as being conducive to the happiness of a nation and therefore is included in it the remainder of the oath is improper on the ground that all personal oaths ought to be abolished they are the remains of tyranny on one part and slavery on the other and the name of the creator ought not to be introduced to witness the degradation of his creation or if taken as is already mentioned as figurative of the nation it is in this place redundant but whatever apology may be made for oaths at the first establishment of a government they ought not to be permitted afterwards if a government requires the support of oaths 
it is a sign that it is not worth supporting and ought not to be supported make government what it ought to be and it will support itself to conclude this part of the subject one of the greatest improvements that have been made for the perpetual security and progress of constitutional liberty is the provision which the new constitutions make for occasionally revising altering and amending them the principle upon which mr burke formed his political creed that of quote, binding and controlling posterity to the end of time and of renouncing and abdicating the rights of all posterity for ever is now become too detestable to be made a subject of debate and therefore i pass it over with no other notice than exposing it government is but now beginning to be known hitherto it has been the mere exercise of power which forbade all effectual inquiry into rights and grounded itself wholly on possession while the enemy of liberty was its judge the progress of its principles must have been small indeed the constitutions of america and also that of france have either affixed a period for their revision or laid down the mode by which improvement shall be made it is perhaps impossible to establish anything that combines principles with opinions and practice which the progress of circumstances through a length of years will not in some measure derange or render inconsistent and therefore to prevent inconveniences accumulating till they discourage reformations or provoke revolutions it is best to provide the means of regulating them as they occur the rights of man are the rights of all generations of men and cannot be monopolized by any that which is worth following will be followed for the sake of its worth and it is in this that its security lies and not in any conditions with which it may be encumbered when a man leaves property to his heirs he does not connect it with any obligation that they shall accept it why then should we do otherwise with respect to constitutions the best constitution that could now be devised consistent with the condition of the present moment may be far short of that excellence which a few years may afford there is a morning of reason rising upon man on the subject of government that has not appeared before as the barbarism of the present old governments expires the moral conditions of nations with respect to each other will be changed man will not be brought up with the savage idea of considering his species as his enemy because the accident of birth gave the individual's existence in countries distinguished by different names and as constitutions have always some relation to external as well as to domestic circumstances the means of benefiting by every change foreign or domestic should be a part of every constitution we already see an alteration in the national disposition of england and france towards each other which when we look back to only a few years is itself a revolution who could have foreseen or who could have believed that a french national assembly would ever have been a popular toast in england or that a friendly alliance of the two nations should become the wish of either it shows that man were he not corrupted by governments is naturally the friend of man 
and that human nature is not of itself vicious that spirit of jealousy and ferocity which the governments of the two countries inspired and which they rendered subservient to the purpose of taxation is now yielding to the dictates of reason interest and humanity the trade of courts is beginning to be understood and the affectation of mystery with all the artificial sorcery by which they imposed upon mankind is on the decline it has received its death wound and though it may linger it will expire government ought to be as much open to improvement as anything which appertains to man instead of which it has been monopolized from age to age by the most ignorant and vicious of the human race need we any other proof of their wretched management than the excess of debts and taxes with which every nation groans and the quarrels into which they have precipitated the world just emerging from such a barbarous condition it is too soon to determine to what extent of improvement government may yet be carried for what we can foresee all europe may form but one great republic and man be free of the whole End of part second, chapter four of Constitutions, part two of two. Read by Edward Kirkby, Warwick, England.